Hello, accountants and financial planners. Welcome to In the Slipstream FM, the podcast designed to help you run a better business. My guest today is a wise, understanding enabler, a man who has assisted hundreds of accounting and financial planning practitioners to achieve their goals of ownership and expansion. How has he done this? You might well ask. It's through the power of finance to make transactions happen, firstly as a banker and now as a canny finance broker. Whether you're about to embark on the process to buy into a firm or a seasoned veteran of partnership mergers, splits and acquisitions, I'm sure you'll find this conversation illuminating. Then, after the main interview has been and gone, stay around because I'm going to be sharing some more details about Slipstream's just launching Twins, Pathway to Succession and Exit, together with Pathway to Equity. Let's get started. Now here's some great ideas for your firm, where we're all about success on your terms. Get the knowledge, the tools and insights from special guests. Everything you need to become your very best. So come and build the business of your dreams. Settle in and listen now to In The Slipstream. And welcome back. When I first met today's guest, Convulsus, he was a senior figure at Judeo Bank. He and I had a sparkling conversation about funding for accountants and financial planners in practice. It seemed like a great idea to have him on this podcast. Now that he's an independent broker, I think it's even more fitting that he's come onto the program. But enough from me. Come and I'll introduce you to Con. I started the conversation by asking him about his career path to becoming a big shot banker. Actually, it's, it's a funny story. So I went into sort of uni not knowing what I wanted to do. So I've had, a, I guess I had a, a, an inkling that I wanted to get into some sort of business. So I did a economics degree, finished that in the, in the mid nineties when youth unemployment was about 27%, realized that was kind of a pointless degree and I couldn't get a job anywhere. <laughs> um, so I actually went back to uni and thought I'll become an accountant. So I actually started my commerce degree um, and then I started looking for work sort of part-time in that phase and I got a job with the state government here in South Australia at that time, working in Wyala of all places. So okay. I thought, you know what, I've hadn't, you know, I, I probably applied for 300 jobs by that stage and got wow. rejected for all of them. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know what, let's uh, let's take this role and, and I'll, I went to Wyala I had a choice of the Iron Triangle, so Port Pirie, Port Augusta, and Wyala. And I went to Wyala because I had a uni up there, so I thought I can at least continue my studies while I'm while I'm working. Yeah. And I went up there to run an employment program. So uh, I was a 20, 20, 21 year old, moved out of home for the first time, went up to Wyala and and ran a, a hundred eighty thousand dollar budget for for employing people up in Wyala. And that's where I got my passion for business. Uh huh. So we we. I think we had a target of about a hundred jobs to be created in the year. I was only there for a year. Um, yep. 
I think we created something like 450 jobs um, over that period. So it was it was really insightful. It was a great learning experience. Um, yeah. I was given a lot of rope, um, you know, as a 21-year-old to set a major program of that size. And that really got me excited about working with businesses. I was not very excited about working with the government. It was it yeah. was definitely something that I didn't want to do. So yeah. I started looking after that at opportunities that were in the market. And uh, I ended up applying for the Commonwealth Bank grad program. Uh-huh. And so I got into that um, after sort of nine months of, of working for the government. And that started July 1. 2020, not July 1, 2020. And um, that's how I got into into banking. And even at that stage, I was not sure what I was going to do, whether I liked it, whether I didn't like it. I worked for the Commonwealth Bank for a couple of years and that was great. And I learned a lot about banking through through the CBA. And then I applied for a job with Macquarie Bank because I thought, eh, if banking doesn't work out for me, I might become a, a stockbroker or investment advisor. I could do okay. all this sort of cool stuff at, with Macquarie. So I ended up being Macquarie's first employee in business banking in Adelaide and um, absolutely loved it. Uh, mm-hmm. Loved working with businesses and, and helping them grow and, and providing at that time a service that wasn't really readily available in Adelaide. Yeah. And that's where I started working with accountants from a banking perspective. So it was um, over that period of time where Macquarie was probably the only one in the market that was really doing any sort of lending to accountants in that SME space, in that uh-huh. sort of smaller space. There's obviously corporate banking for the for the big four and the mid-tiers, but in that smaller space of, you know, three, four, five accountants, there wasn't readily available credit. And, and we went mm. into the market and, and did quite a bit of that. So had quite a bit of exposure there. And after five years of working at in Macquarie, I was given, I was very fortunate to be given the role of, of running the state for Macquarie in business banking at that point and um, did that for three more years and then sort of realized that I had nowhere further to go. And at that point, I, I picked up and moved to Melbourne and joined ANZ and yeah. then had another 11-year career with with ANZ. And, and during my time at ANZ, I did some corporate banking and then they tapped me on the shoulder and said, we want you to come and, and start up professional services banking in in ANZ. So right. I went into ANZ um, in, the, in the business bank segment and um, I wrote policies, I brought on clients, I I helped create the whole portfolio of clients. So it wasn't just accounting, that was accounting, legal, financial planning, real estate um, and insurance broking and, yep. and worked there in that role for about five years. And then I got tapped on the shoulder to join Judo Bank. And so I went over there and, and kind of did the same thing for the last couple of years. And then I decided, you know, I, to be honest, at the time that I left ANZ, I was probably ready for a change and it was either going to be a corporate role or, or going out on my own. And and Judo was so keen to have me and, and, and George was was harassing me constantly. Mm-hmm. George Abita is the, the chief third party officer. So I, I thought yep. the passion that he had, I thought I'd love to join a startup organization again, pretty similar to what I did at Macquarie yeah. and and see how that goes. But um, yeah, we, we sort of um, got to two years there and I thought, you know what, if I don't do it now, I never will and, and decided to to leave and, and start my own business. Right. Okay. Well, I look forward to exploring some of the uh, angles that you've uh, opened up there and particularly what, what you're doing now. Uh, so could you tell me a little bit more about what you've done as a banker with professional service firms? 
Yeah, of course. So basically over the the 23 year career that I've had, I've worked with, you know, the smallest firm. There is a one partner firm with with a couple of staff looking to, you know, either sell or, or merge or acquire um, right up to working with, you know, the, the big four accounting firms and, and helping them bring partners on board and, and do all those sort of things. So I've had that whole spectrum. Most of my career has been in, you know, what I judge as the SME space. So, you know, from a professional services firm perspective, you know, that's kind of from that suburban one-man accounting firm right up to your, you know, your, your second-tier firms. So your, your brand name, you know, your malls, your BDOs and all those sort of guys. So that's been um, the, the breadth of where I've worked over the time. Most of what I've done has been around two things. So one has been helping the firms themselves. Yep. And when I say helping the firms, it kind of covers succession planning. It covers yep. acquisitions, mergers, um, helping them, you know, a lot of cases build wealth for partners, in particular in the smaller firms where they've got a, a whole heap of equity tied into the firm and they want to do some stuff outside and build some equity, yep. a lot of that sort of stuff. And then, um, you know, conversely from there, obviously helping their clients out. So being a point of contact for all the firms that know me to then, if they have a client that needs some some help with funding and whatever that might look like, I was the conduit into, you know, in particular at ANZ, the conduit into ANZ um, and into the myriad of divisions that, that existed and try to help people out that way. Sure. Yeah. Well, it was our previous conversation off offline uh, where we got into some of this that sort of made me think, "Wow, what what a uh, a depth of experience!" And uh, must get you on the program. So, I'm hoping that listeners appreciate that uh, just with all that experience and so relevant to um, uh, this this audience. I'm I'm hoping to get into sort of some some real um, gems of 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 wisdom uh, from from you today. Uh, now, at the risk of alienating half the listeners, uh, who do you prefer working with, accountants or, for, for, or financial planners and why? Yeah, look, I'm not going to alienate anyone <laughs> um, because I actually enjoy working with both. Uh-huh. They are actually, they are quite different operationally. Um, mm-hmm. I do tend to find that accountants are a bit more business savvy. Yes. Um and I find that financial planners are a little bit less business savvy because they're more on the personal side of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of the stuff I do with financial planners is probably education, um, whereas the accountants probably already know that. So I, I don't think there's a preference. If you'd asked me about lawyers, I would have had a preference. But with the financial planners and accountants, I don't really have a preference of, of working with either. I I find that both of them have their, their nuances, um, you know, accountants – uh normally pretty easy to deal with if you know how to deal with them mm-hmm. and um and the same with planners so you know planners are probably as it less business savvy um than what the the accountants are because they're doing it day in day out but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. They're, they're both great to work with oh, excellent we'll leave lawyers uh well out of this yeah, uh, don't talk about lawyers <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, now this is a little bit of a question in the past tense because you're 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 sort of moved on in your career which we'll explore but uh the scenario con i'm sure you've you've done it dozens of times you're at a party and says and someone says what do you do and you sort of say well i'm a i'm a big shop banker that's a banker with a b uh but i don't do home loans and i don't predict interest rates i mean what's what's the sort of reaction that you get there 
Yeah, look, it's always interesting. A lot of people think banker, they think home loans or they think the branch. Um, yeah. And I think other than doing a three-month stint when I was a grad at CBA, I've, I've never really set foot in a branch and worked in a branch since then. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a it is a foreign concept and especially joining Judo Bank and people are like, oh, who do you work for? Judo Bank. Who's that? Never heard of him. So, <laughs> yeah, we got with that quite a bit and and hopefully over the two years that I was, I was there, I've, I've lifted the profile of, of Judo. Um, at least in the accounting space anyway, yeah. because that was the, the market that they were really trying to target as opposed okay. to the, the personal lending, because it's not what they do. Yep. Um, but yeah, look, when, I, when when they sort of asked me, what do you actually do? Uh, it is talking to them. And because I've been out of the frontline banking role per se, as in you know doing the loans and those sort of things, it's more about yes. saying, well, my role was to, to manage relationships with people and, and ensure that yeah. when they had a need that I could fulfill it and put them in the right position and the right or the right person. Okay. Can we go on uh, and talk a little bit more about w- what it is that you're looking to do? Because the the paint's still drying on the um, on on the sort of sign above the door, isn't it? Uh, so uh, yeah, just tell the listeners a little bit more about uh, what what you're doing now and 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 where that the direction that's taking you. Yeah, absolutely. So I've decided to start my own business called um, Accelerate Advisory. Yeah, um, it is a, a finance business um, in, in the main, so looking at providing commercial, residential, asset finance funding for, for clients, um, really focusing in on the accountants in particular, because that's a, a big part of my network and, mm-hmm. and helping them um, help their clients in the main, but also helping them help themselves as well. So really looking at how do we, how do I take my experience over you know 20 plus years of, of banking and bring it to accountants and their clients and provide them with the service they need. So now one of the scariest things out there for for people is unfortunately the banks over the last 10 to 15 years have have dumbed down it's probably the best word without being rude um dumbed down the 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 banker role um you know from home loans through to commercial banking. Home loans probably they've been doing it for 20 plus years so they've really automated that process and you know, we now know that 70% of home loans are written by brokers pretty much through their CRM system. Mm-hmm. But in commercial, they've been trying to do that over time. And, and what they've done is they've created bankers who don't really understand the businesses they deal with. Mm-hmm. And what they've done is they've tried to commoditize the roles. And they've said, okay, well, how do we give the bankers more time to be in front of the clients and, and mm-hmm. the referrers? And they've moved a lot of the processes that I did as a young banker, which you know might have been spreading financials and, and doing all that kind of grunt work that no one really likes doing, but it's where you learn. Mm-hmm. And people are now being thrown into the roles that haven't done that, don't understand a set of financials. They get the financials, they ship them off to a back office or, or an AI. You know, some of them are actually doing them by AI now okay. as well. Um, it comes back to them with a set of numbers. They plug it into a computer system and basically it says yes or no whether they can do the lending. Yeah, right. And that's really not a great service. Uh, it really is a, a horrible way of doing things. And that process that I just went through, which sounds pretty simple, that could take four to six weeks. So mm-hmm. as a client, as an accountant, you could be sitting there with you know, the hope of getting a loan and, and you may not hear an answer for four to six weeks and then the banker will ring you up and say, oh, credit said no, can't help you, sorry. So the idea of, of that happening to people really doesn't 
sit well with me. Yeah. And so what's the best thing for me to do? Well, it's probably to go outside of the banking system and mm. and become a broker like any other broker where, you know, whether it's an insurance broker broking across a whole bunch of insurers or, a, you know, a financial planner putting um, their clients into you know a, a range of different products. Being a, a finance broker means that I've got access to not only the banks, but also private lenders, you know, non-bank financial institutions, the whole range of things. Mm a whole range of options that I can sit down and actually have a discussion with. Whereas when you're a banker, you're kind of stuck with the products that, you know, your bank has. So from that perspective, I can now sit down with the client and say, okay, well, let's have a look at your financials, um, your situation, what everything looks like and go, okay, well, straight up, I know that these four banks, you know, the major banks aren't going to be able to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And we need to focus our attention to one of these two or three, you know, institutions that that will understand your business and and take the risk on that you know you might have. Which I might sit there as a as an experienced banker and say this is a good transaction and there's not a heap of risk in the deal, but um, you know the majors may just at that point in time not have appetite for that you know that asset. Um, mm. And then a classic at the moment is you know construction and and industries associated with construction all the banks are petrified of construction so it doesn't matter how good the business is it's really tough to get a loan if you're a you know in the construction industry and so that's that's why i've started accelerate advisory because i think there's a real gap in the market for a you know really good professional um, banker to come into the businesses that i'll work with to help them grow basically grow refinance, whatever it might be, you know, reduce some costs, combination of everything. It's not always, you know, the cheapest price isn't always the best deal, um, like, like anything. So really being able to sit down and, and give that. And that, that's why I've called it Accelerate Advisory, because it is actually around the advisory piece. Um, very similar to what I would expect a good accountant would do. You know, everyone can do a GST and a BAS and, you know, do your tax return. It's about how the accountant sits down with the client and explains to them, what their business is doing, where their mm. business is potentially not performing as that should be and, and what they can do to change it. You know, I think I can provide the same thing from a banking perspective to say, well, your banking probably isn't right where it is at the moment. You're probably not structured correctly. I mean, a classic, which accountants get, you know, and understand really well is deductible versus non-deductible debt. So some clients might have deductible debt being paid off over 10 years and non-deductible being paid off over 30 years. That's just crazy in my mind. So, you know, looking at that and going, okay, well, how do we make this, um, you know, flip this the other way around? How do we pay off your deductible debt in 10 years and keep your, sorry, how do we pay for non-deductible debt in 10 years and keep your deductible debt, you know, interest only or whatever it might be or as long long as possible of a term. Um, Whereas unfortunately, you know, some brokers in the market at the moment and, and bankers at the moment, they go by the product and they don't go by what's the right thing by the client. So that, that's why I've, I've decided to go into business for myself, to be independent of, of the brand that I'm working for and to provide that experience. Yeah, working with four you know, quite major banks or three major banks and, and, a, and a new newer bank, which is really stirring up the market in that SME space. Um, I now have a, a really good breadth um, of knowledge of, of all that um, is in the market and you know there's stuff that I don't know about which I will find out as I get more experience as a, as a broker as well in particular in private lending and some of those sort of areas um, because there's a solution 
for everyone somewhere, you know, that's, yeah. the, that's the reality. Yeah, well, it's, it's, um, that's, that's all good to hear because often by the time you've actually gone through an application process, everyone's so exhausting. So look, well, we'll just take it and we'll live with it. Uh, but so a little bit of thought, particularly in the early stages, uh, might might actually end up with better outcomes. Um, so that's really great. Um, so I'd like to probe a little bit further, uh, therefore, and perhaps could you give us uh, an overview through the lens of uh, accounting and financial planning businesses of the current banking landscape? Uh, who's 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 sort of like in in the space and who's withdrawing? Um, what's what's the lay of the land? Yeah, look, I'll have to separate them because accounting okay. and planning, they have, there's different appetites in the market. I see. Those, those two industries. Um, it's a pretty good time to be an accountant. All the banks are, are pretty keen to to work with accountants and, and help okay. them out. Um, you know, accountants are seen as obviously the trusted advisor to clients. So there's always that overlay of if we look after the accounting firm, and this is one of my mantras when I was both at ANZ and at Trudeau, you know, if we bank the accounting firm, we're more likely to get the, the client referral. Um, and so as an accountant, there actually are a myriad of opportunities out there to to do lots of different things and, and get lots of things done. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the situation for the accountant, what they want, whether it's, you know, do I want the cheapest price? Do I want, a, do I want the most flexibility? Um, there's a bank that will, will suit everyone. And unfortunately, again, you know, going back to the, the banker thing, the bankers have become policy driven as opposed to client driven. Mm. And so having a broker come in who understands the client and understands what they're they're looking for, you can navigate those policies pretty well. If I look at financial planners, it's it's a bit more complex. That's definitely a bit more of a complex um, space because there's multiple things that might affect how people look at a, a financial planning deal. So, you know, to give you an example, Macquarie has always been pretty good in the space. Mm-hmm. About three or four years ago, they went through and, and did a, a, a sort of a recut of their, um, their their business and they decided to change their, their model a little bit. And so they actually went through and, and changed some of the dealer groups they deal with. So simply if you're mm-hmm. a, a planner and you're with a dealer group that they don't like, you won't get finance. It's just, yeah, it's right. black and white, as simple as that. Um, mm-hmm. Commonwealth Bank never really has been that great at it. Um, you know, I hate saying this because I was at ANZ, but ANZ, from a, a a head office perspective, never had a great appetite for it. Um, I did go in and, and change it a little bit, but our policies at ANZ were based around only banking the best firms. Um, mm-hmm. So we didn't have a very aggressive policy and we were pretty conservative so ultimately if you're a planner you know you, you you've probably got three choices and that's you know macquarie if you're an independent or, or in their chosen dealer groups mm-hmm. um nab and westpac and i'd say you know between the three of them they probably have you know a, a fair cut of the yeah nab's probably the biggest followed uh-huh. by macquarie and then westpac yeah right okay Yep. Preparing for this interview, I went on a trip down memory lane and, and I was recalling that as a sole practitioner in the Burbs, uh, the relationship I had was with the local range manager at that time. Uh, fast forward a few years and I merged my firm with a couple other guys who were in the CBD and we had a manager who was uh, 
in in the Brisbane C- CBD, but sort of like a sort of quite a, a major hub there. And these days, it, it seems almost just as likely that you're dealing with with a um, a manager who may not even be in your home state. Um, so, would you care to explain how the relationships with banks typically work now, <laughs> and how you might yeah. manage such a relationship? Yeah, look, it's it's sad to say it because I did spend over twenty years of my career in in banking, and the banks talk about relationships a lot. Yeah, and it is definitely not the brand that you're with, but the person that you're banking with. Um, ah. And so, and I've been saying this for a long, long time that you know you, you bank with the person, you, you bank with a brand. Obviously, that's that's a part of it, but you're banking the the person that you're dealing with. Yeah. So, you know, there's plenty of examples. You know, I spent 11 years at ANZ, and I've got some really good mates there that have been relationship managers for 20 plus years and have a core group of customers that absolutely love them, mm-hmm. and then. There's some customers who, unfortunately, for one reason or another, might have had three bank managers in the last 12 months because mm. people have moved on and, and mm. whatever's happened, right? And they've got had an absolutely horrid experience. So when I say it's the person you're dealing with rather than the brand, that's that's exactly wh- why you, you say that. Mm. And that's where I guess, you know, and I guess so, sort of coming in from my perspective as a broker, you're intermediating that relationship. So yes. you're saying to your accounting client let me deal with the bank you don't need to deal with anyone else you know obviously the bank will come and meet the client you're not going to be completely away from that process but i've got the connections in with the banks i'll deal with the banks as much as possible and therefore you're only needing to meet with them maybe once or twice a year when you need to do whatever that might be so i'm taking that relationship piece off of the accountant to a certain extent a lot of the admin side of it as a broker to do to do that and make sure that they're getting the best deal. Yeah. Um, if you are with a bank, what I've always said throughout my career is if you've got a relationship manager, make sure you know who their boss is because undoubtedly, mm. if they're good, within two years, they're going to get promoted into another role and you'll have another yes. person come into yes. the role and you need to know who that person's boss is. Yes. Um, also, know who their assistant is because ultimately... Yep. For the day-to-day running of, of your business, you're not going to be dealing with your relationship manager. You'll be dealing with the assistant manager. So try and have two or three contacts with your bank um, to make sure that you've spread that risk if that person leaves, that you're not sort of hanging, waiting for someone to call you because you don't have that phone number or, or that email address. Makes good sense. Um, at the risk of coming across a little bit cynical, I'll get you to respond to the observation that banks only want to give you a loan when you no longer need their money. Look, it's 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 not that far off from the truth. Um, yep. Banks obviously have a a need to manage their risk, yep. and unfortunately, um, over the last ten to fifteen years, that the risk profile of the banks has really kind of moved towards that. Give us your your collateral first, and then we'll look at what the rest yep. of it looks like. So you know, give yep. us security, and then we might do do a loan for you as opposed to having a look at the, the whole business. And and that's where, you know, kudos to, to Judo Bank and, and Joseph Healy. They've, they've come and, and flipped it the other way around and said, well, we will help SME businesses out. Um, yeah. Ultimately, you need to be able to show that you can afford to, to repay your debts. And that's the that's the big one. So sometimes, you know, there's there's deals where you sit there and, and 
this has happened over the full 20 years of my career. There's there's just some deals that are equity deals and aren't bankable deals. And, and mm-hmm. you just got to say to the client, this is never going to sit in a bank. You need to bring an equity partner in because this is this is equity risk, not bank risk. Um, but the presentation of, of your business to a bank plays a really important part to whether you do or don't get a loan. So mm-hmm. if you can make your banker's life as easy as possible and give them the right information in the right format and make it simple, then you're more likely to get your loan approved than if you're taking time to get them information, drip feeding and stuff and, and doing all that. And again, you know, that's where brokers have become quite a powerful tool. And, and look, to be honest, you know, when I was at ANZ, there was probably 60 to 70% of, of new customers were coming through brokers. Yeah. Um, at Judo, it was about 70, 75%. Um, so brokers are definitely becoming the, the main source of, of new clients for banks. Obviously, the, the big banks have a big, um, very long um, history of, of clients that they, they bank. So from a, a, a percentage of clients that have a broker attached to them, they're probably sitting at 30 or 40%. But when you look at when a new customer comes on board, it's probably around 60 to 70% come with brokers. And the reason clients do that is because they get sick of the process. And so they go, I'd rather out, outsource it to someone else as opposed to have to do it myself. And and then you're, if you're using a good broker, and again, it's the same as the banker. If you use a bad broker, you'll probably end up with a crap result. <laughs> yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the industry is getting better, but there's still a few out there yeah, that, are, that are a little bit rogue. But if you use a good broker, that can actually articulate your business in a succinct manner and, you know, basically provide the deal to the bank ready to go, you're more likely to get an approval as opposed to someone that might be, you know, throwing a set of financials out and going, well, what do you think, Mr. Banker, as opposed to someone going, here's the financials, here's the servicing, this is what they want to do, this is why they want to do it, and and selling that story as to why the bank should take on that risk. Yes, yes. As you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking in particular of one of the accounting firms that I coach. This is a $2 million accounting firm, you know, really, really hitting its straps. Uh, they'd negotiated to buy um, a sole practitioner's uh, client base as a retirement strategy for the for the other guy. Um, so 800,000 fees and, and just the numbers, it just looked beautiful. It would just like really add some oomph to the firm. It was a win-win all around and, and it just... It's just sort of lurched around, waiting for finance, waiting for finance, and uh, you know, possibly sort of there could have been more attention given to sort of a a, a, a package of information uh, all delivered at once. But it just seemed like there was in never never land with with the bank. Um, yeah. yeah, and look, it's it's basically it's back to what I said before. It's who you deal with, and so yes. if they've got someone who's inexperienced or someone who potentially is very busy. Yeah. And so what a lot of bankers will do, uh, and this is a, a bit of an indictment on the industry, is that the bankers are rewarded by, you know, how many loans they settle in a year. So yep. whatever the target might be, whether it's, you know, a million a month or three million a month, doesn't really matter. Yeah. They're all, you know, they're all kind of moving towards this, you know, I need to get to this number yep. to save my job, to make sure I'm here yeah. for another 12 months. And so what happens is as transactions come into their funnel, They'll sit there and they'll go, I'll do the easy ones first, right? Ah. This this one is, um, so a lot of them have gone down a, a low doc type scenario where mm-hmm. 
we'll lend you 80% of your commercial property if you know you give us your last two bus statements and we put it in the computer and the computer says yep you can service yep. you get the loan so it might take them four hours to to do that deal yeah that deal for an accountant which is probably unsecured secured by the gsa or the business only yeah. cash flow wise looks fantastic but it needs a bit of work the, the banker has to write a story has to do all that work on it that that might take two days it might be 16 hours of work yeah so the one deal that comes in for eight hundred thousand dollars that's supported by a property that'll take four hours, one deal that's eight hundred thousand dollars that's going to take sixteen hours. They're going to go, oh, I'll do the four hour one first because it's easy and it ticks the box and I'll get my eight hundred grand drawdown. Yeah. In the meantime, another one comes in for a million bucks, and it's also secured by property. Oh, I'll do that one again. So then all of a sudden uh, your accounting deal gets kind of funneled yeah, right. to the bottom okay. of the pile. Um, and so by the time they look at it. They've not looked at it for two weeks. Yep. The accountant's probably sitting there going, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Then they read it and go, oh, I'm missing some information. So I'll go back to the accountant and ask for some information. But all the accountant is seeing is this time lapse between when yep. it goes in and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. So it does get pretty pretty horrific. And it is it is worse at the smaller end of town. So Interesting. The way that banks have built their small businesses, which small business can be anywhere from sort of one to three million in lending, depending on which yep. bank you're with, yep. it's all been process driven. So you tick these four boxes and your loan's approved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So again, I'll use, I'll use my aids at experience. They had a, a, a thing called a fully a, a fully secured loan. That was the title of the loan. Okay. Yeah. You know, we would do up to 80% of commercial and up to 100% of residential. You had to have a trading business, which was going for two years, and you had to give six months of BAS statements. And then yeah. they plug the BAS statements into a computer, computer go after the tax office, get the standard expenses that the tax office has for that industry, work out if it can service, and then approve it for them. Yeah, right. So all the small business bankers were chasing these fully secured loans because they knew yeah. that they could get them done really quick. Yeah. And they could turn them around and move on to the next one. And yeah. so all the harder deals, which may not be harder from a banking perspective, they might be better risk profile deals from a bank's perspective, but they might be unsecured or they might be undersecured. They would just continually sit at the bottom of the pile. And that's where, again, you know, not trying to toot the horn of brokers, but that's where the brokers come in. And, and that's where yeah. their job is to, to pick the right banker to say, okay, yes. well, at every bank, I'm going to have two or three bankers that I deal with and I'm going to make sure that they look after my clients because yeah. if you give them enough volume of work, they're going to look after the broker more. And yeah. so that's where you get the ability to go, hey, you know, hey, Scott, you've had this for a week. What's going on? Mm. Why aren't you doing it? And yeah. then Scott's going to go, oh, if I upset this broker, I want to get the next deal. I might go to CBA or yeah, Westpac. Right. I better look after it. And so okay. that's unfortunately what's happened in in banking um you know I, again i think it's an indictment on on the industry but we are going down that track of distributions getting outsourced to to third mm. parties being the, the brokers and, mm. and banks are just being process oriented yeah right connor are the banks keeping up with technology for the business clients it, it seems very easy to blow an entire lunch hour sort of down at the branch sort of just trying to sort out change of signatories or that sort of stuff um is, is that sort of what we can expect? Yeah, look, technology is actually really good at the front end for banks. Um, yep. Where it probably doesn't work as well is at the back end. And and I'll exclude Commonwealth Bank because they went through a, a huge 
um, process to upgrade their systems, but at the other three majors, some of the systems are about 40 plus years old. Yep. They don't break. They're very robust and, and they're very good systems, but they're still DOS oriented. So what they're doing is they're layering on top. Yeah. Yeah. Know, all these other systems on top of it. But ultimately, a lot of the, the slowdown in what the banks can provide clients and accountants has actually come from legislation. So there's stuff that you can't escape and avoid. So KYC is the big one. You know, I mean, I've been trying to open up an account for my business with the Commonwealth Bank and yeah. did it online. I thought, how good is this? Do it online, da, 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 do that. And then they said, oh, no, we need this, 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 and this information. And then someone in Commonwealth Bank didn't understand what my business was. So then they actually flicked me a, a form which said, oh, you know, you're a non-bank financial institution. You need to fill in this form. Started filling the form. And they're like, wait a sec. It's asking me questions about if I'm lending money and if I'm lending money. I'm just a broker. I'm just a simple <laughs> intermediary. So I had to ring the Commonwealth Bank and say, hey, guys, you've made a mistake. This is not what my business is doing. And and so that process has been going on now for about three weeks and, and still the oh. account's not actually open. Yeah, so the technology wow. up front was great. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. 15 minutes of me online. I, I uploaded everything I needed to upload. But then someone somewhere that has to do something manually and yes. has made an error and it's caused a ripple effect. So that's unfortunately what happens in that space. And, and because you have those, I guess, archaic systems in the background, sometimes those processes are quite manual. Um, but, you know, look, I think they are investing, the banks are investing a huge amount of money into technology and into the front end piece. Um, and those banks that are newer and don't have the legacy systems probably are ahead of, of you know, the majors who are the, the kind of the, the older yeah, more mature systems. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I hear from some of my mates who have been brokers for a long time. You know, for example, if if you can fit a loan into the Macquarie system, you can get an approval in four hours for a home loan, which is just unheard of. But they've built yeah. the system to go, if you tick these five boxes, we'll, we'll approve your home loan really, really quickly. Right. Yeah. Um but if you don't tick the boxes, you get rejected. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to um sort of uh get into some specifics here and if we look first at the funding for the firm itself that it, it it needs some money so be it for working capital or funding an office upgrade what would be some parameters that would make you as a banker comfortable to provide funds and in what form might this take yeah look it's a really good question um it is different for different banks and and different size businesses yeah so again if you're a smaller business, um, so if you're a one-man sort of accounting firm, say yeah. sub $1 million in, in, in fees, yes. you're probably going to find it a bit challenging to get funding. There is opportunity out there to get it. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you know where to go, you'll yeah. get it. But if you sort of spend time with the wrong bank, you could be wasting a lot of time. Yeah. The most important thing the banks look at for accountants is um, – the size of the business in terms of not uh -huh. just the fees, but also how many partners are there. Yeah. So, so most of the banks have a minimum partner number. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, BOQ, I know, and Macquarie want more than three partners. So, basically, if you've got less than three partners, you know, without security, you can't get funding against your fees. Right. Other banks are a bit more open about it. Um, I know NAB will do sole partner firms, um, but yeah. they'll do it at a, at a lower LVR than what they do for bigger firms. So uh -huh. it is different depending on the size of the business. 
But generally speaking, as accountants, um, there is a lot of options out there for and probably more than any other business. Uh, again, because the risk profile of accountants is, is really, really low, um, yeah. which is a positive. So I've done all the analytics from a from an ANZ perspective and, and accountants and doctors are basically the lowest risk um, business clients uh, over a, a long history of time. So yeah, the right. banks are more willing to to lend, I guess, a little bit easily easily to those um, to those industries. Yeah. But at the smaller end, it can be a bit challenging. And again, it comes back down to the to the person. But but what's really important is making sure, obviously, you're profitable. Um, most of the banks will use a, a debt to EBITDA multiple, um, anywhere from say two and a half to three and a half times. Yeah. Um, ensuring that the partners have some net wealth, net asset behind them. Yeah. Um, albeit if if it's unsecured, it doesn't matter. They they need to have the ability to be able to raise some equity to put into the business if they need to. Yeah. Um, and the really important thing to think about as an accountant is is the the three or four C's, depending on on where you have, are coming from. But character being number one, so character comes down to experience, comes down to things like you know you haven't been bankrupt or you haven't had any negative credit checks uh-huh. um, yeah. and all those sort of kind of quantitative rather than yeah. qualitative um, aspects. Um, and that's normally the first thing all the banks will look at. Secondly, and this is the way they should look at it, but not all banks do, cash flow. So can you afford yeah. to repay your debt? Yeah. Um, thirdly is what we at Judo were calling capital. Um, so equity on balance sheet. Yeah. And then fourth is collateral. So you're not something's missing, do we need some collateral? And and I always say to people, I even said this when I was at different banks, um, you know, the character piece is a, a mandatory. You can't not have character. Yeah. Of the other three, so of cash flow, of collateral and of capital. Yeah. If you're slightly deficient in one, but you've got something in the other two. So for example, yeah. If you don't have collateral, but you've got good cash flow and, and you've invested money into your business, you're more likely to get a deal done. If you've got all three, then obviously you're going to get a deal done quite easily. Yeah. Um, so you can be, you know, say a, a cash flow weak business. Yeah. But if the bank can see that you've put in capital into your business, so your equity position yeah. is quite strong, and perhaps you've got a property to put up as security, then you're probably going to get a deal done. If you haven't got collateral, then you definitely need to have cash flow. So you need to have a strong cash flow to show that, that you can afford to repay the debt and you need to show that you've got a strong balance sheet as well. So that's yeah. the that's the real important thing to look at as as any client um, that I would talk to. I'd say they're the, the three things, you know, that you oh. need to look at. Okay. So how does it work in the instance of you've got a three partner firm uh, and, and one of them has a much stronger personal financial position than the other two? Yeah, good question. So, um, with a three partner firm, you, you, you're going to find that most of the banks are going to be pretty happy to at least look at a restrictive guarantee. Mm-hmm. If the other two partners, when I say restrictive, I mean um, you know limiting the guarantee for each partner to a third of the debt, for example. Yeah. If two of the three partners are really weak, um, and the third partner is really strong, then the bank may go, you know what, we need all three of you to, to 100% guarantee the facility. So as the strong yeah. partner, you are definitely 
taking on more risk. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, for three partner firms, they're, they're normally pretty happy to do it against the firm because there's enough of a, a risk mitigation there. I if see. one partner leaves, yeah. you know, you've got two left to, to manage it. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That as the the wealthy third partner, it's highly likely that you're going to be taking on a little bit more risk yep. than the other two. And I guess it depends on the situation. So the way I look at it is if, if it's a three-partner firm and the strong partner is, say, the, the principal that started the business and he's brought two people in and he's got 50% and they got 25 each, yeah. then you might say, well, they're your succession, so you need to back them into the business. And then yep. that person might have the, the ability to go, okay, well, I'm happy to do that because one, I'm the majority owner, two, they're my succession plan. Yep. And as they buy me out, I'm going to get cash off the table. So it kind of makes yes. sense for me to take that risk. Yes. But on the other side, if it's three partners, they own a third each. And it's just simply because two of the three partners have had divorces or whatever it might be. Yep. <laughs> then as the third partner, and, and as, again, as an independent broker on the outside, I'd be saying to the third partner, well, we need to push pretty hard for the banks to limit your exposure yeah. because you know they're going to try to take a you know a non recourse sorry a fully recoursed guarantee from you because they're going to see weakness in the other two partners yeah but you're all equal as business partners so you should yeah. all have the equal risk so that's yeah. that's that's where as a, a an asset rich equity holder you've got that additional risk you got to think about yeah good I'd like to uh, look at a scenario if I could I'm still looking at funding the firm itself. Um, so we've got Mary, uh, who's a qualified practitioner who's been working from home part-time. She's got, say, $100,000 in recurring revenue. Uh, and now with her two kids at, at primary school and daycare, respectively, she wants to resume her career in earnest. Uh, and she's had a conversation with a firm who's willing to buy those fees for three three times, uh, for 300000 do in no small measure they they want to get Mary, um, who's seen as a great long term prospect uh, for the firm. So, what are the prospects for for getting funding for something like that? Yeah, so look, I think in that regard, assuming that that firm is you know significantly bigger than Mary's firm that you know at a hundred grand yep. revenue. So let's use uh, an example that they're a two partner firm doing two million dollars and they want to buy. Yep this hundred grand and bring her on as a, as a, yep. you know, as a partner to be or whatever yep. it might look like, then I think it'd be pretty easy for that deal to get, be done by, by most okay. banks. Um, yep. You know, in fact, a lot of the firms will probably have an overdraft. They could just, you know, write a check out of if they yep. needed to. Um, where it gets challenging is where Mary and maybe the person that's buying her out might be a one man sort of band and, and says, okay, yes. well, Mary's going to be my succession plan. But I've only got four hundred grand of fees myself, and I'm only, I'm only making a hundred grand. Yeah. And the bank will go, well, you're actually making less than what you would have if you were, a, you know, a salaried senior yeah. manager at an accounting firm. Yeah. So notionally, you don't actually have any profit in your business. So that, at that yeah. point, they might say, okay, well, you know, accountant number number one, you need to put up your house to buy Mary's fees because yep. you just don't have the equity in your business yep. or the profitability in your business to do that. Which then allows uh, allows the bank to extend the loan term instead of doing say a 10 off or, or 10 or 15 year loan term they'll extend it to say 30 years they might do a five year yep. IO period because they have that security that collateral at the back end to support them so there's always a way to do it yep. sometimes you have to be willing to to put up your own asset to grow your business 
Yeah. Um, and other times, depending on where your business sits at in terms of the, the life cycle, you know, the banks are going to be happy to, to lend you that money. A bit like what you said before, you know, you may not get money until you don't need money. So <laughs> <laughs> it is a challenge. Yeah, good. Okay. One more scenario and then I'd, I'd like to uh, move on. But um, I'm thinking, uh, and this might be a sort of say a three, three part of a bit of oomph for hide it. The founder parcel of fees for say 800000 which has been earmarked for a senior manager whose destiny is to become a director and equity owner. Um, how, how would that play out? Yeah, so that, that would be pretty simple. You would look at the earning profile of the firm today. You would ask them to do a, a forecast of hey, when you bring these these fees in, You know what additional costs would you have? What would your earnings look like? And then you would leverage that future earning um, number. And then this is where it's important to have the, the right banker or right broker sitting with you because this is the story you need to sell to the bank yep. is that, yes, today we're here, we're doing you know, X dollars of, of fees. We're buying 800,000 of fees. It's 800,000 of fees is going to bolt on another 500 grand of earnings because we, you know what, we only need one staff member to run it because we have this person yep. already in there. So that's where the story is really important where you sit down yep. with the client and you say, okay, well, do, do a forecast. Let's get an understanding of what the forecast looks like. Let's get the story around why you're buying it, um, what the future looks like. And basically the bank will lend the money to the firm um, yep. securing a with the firm, if the firm wanted to bring in that partner as well as a partner and say, okay, well, you buy these fees and that becomes yeah. your equity into that yes. firm, most banks would say, okay, well, we'll back that new equity partner, yeah. but we want the firm to guarantee them. So if that sure. partner fails in, in whatever motion of, of paying that back, we'll go back to the firm and say, well, you know, I'm yeah. going to use Scott again. Sorry, Scott. Scott's yeah. failed to pay his debts. You've guaranteed it. Yeah, he owes us now seven hundred thousand dollars. He's paid a hundred thousand dollars back. Yeah. Um, what I always say to firms is, off the back of all these arrangements, make sure you get good legal advice. You have good legal yeah. contracts. You have some maybe buy sell arrangements. You might have insurance yes. behind it, so that if yeah. something like that is triggered, that you know you claim back. So you might claim back and say, okay, well, based on our shareholder agreement, Scott, you defaulted on your bank debt, which means you default your shares for basically the cost of debt. So they get it back pay off the debt and and we will call it even and then the bank sort of walks away with their money and, and yeah. a happy, hopefully happy accounting firm. Good. Okay. I'd like to uh, turn the attention now to people who are going to buy into a professional services firm. Uh, and it's sort of, well, this is something we've been looking at quite seriously uh, at Slipstream across our clients and indeed for some of our own uh, internal succession issues. Uh, so I'll, I'll just rattle through the, the sort of what seems to be the obvious candidates in terms of how some somebody who's maybe working in the firm uh, can get hold of the, the necessary capital. So, so I mean, great if they've got equity in a principal place residence. They may or may not have one of those. <laughs> uh, there's the bank of mum and dad, be it sort of by direct funds or, or sort of some sort of guarantee uh, other family members, if we've got to sort of spread the net a bit further, uh, security provider of assets of the firm, uh, and and vendor finance. Um, am I missing anything, or is 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 that the sort of like the full suite that we're we're looking at? That that's pretty much it from a, a funding perspective. Um, I, I guess where it becomes a little bit open is around the vendor finance piece and how you yep. structure that. So yeah. Some firms will just simply have a loan 
to the person buying in and it'll be a, a proper vendor finance arrangement that way. Yeah. We've seen other firms use sort of shadow equity. So, you know, here's some some sweat equity. Um, maybe it's you've earned the right to get a, a bonus that year. Yes. That gets put into a shadow equity arrangement. Uh-huh. And then when it comes to you buying in, instead of having to pay 100% of the, the, the amount that you're buying, You've accrued shadow equity, and you're only paying fifty percent, for example. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to yeah, to, when it comes to bank finance, I think you know probably seventy percent of scenarios that we see is that the firm will guarantee the partner buying in. Yes. And, yes. And that normally arises because most partners that come into accounting firms are somewhere in their thirties, maybe early forties. Yeah. Usually at that stage, they've either just bought their first house or maybe they've just upgraded their second house. They tend not to have a whole heap of equity available to, to redraw. So they're sort of sitting, yep. sitting there with an 80% LVR loan on, the, yep. on their principal place of residence. And so the bank sits there and goes, this guy hasn't got the equity to, to do it. Yes, yes. We want to support him because we know that going into partnership, he'll get you know a return on his his investment, um, yep. you know, three or four times of, of that, whatever that might be. Um, so, hey, you know, ABC accountants, if you guys are willing to to back this guy in and, and you've brought him to us, so, so back yeah. yourselves as well, yeah. um, we'll, we'll back him in. And, and generally speaking, most of the banks will allow up to 100% of that finance to come through that arrangement because they yeah. know that the firm's backing it if they need to. But what I find in most cases is most firms will say, we'll do that for 80%, but we want the partner coming in to have a bit of hurt money in there. Yes. So, you know, if it's a million dollars, they might say we'll guarantee the eight hundred thousand, but yep. we want him, him or her, to put two hundred thousand of, of sweat of their own equity into the so deal. Important. Yeah, and yeah, and most people will have, you know, that kind of money available to them. You know, whether it's in a bit of equity in their home or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, but if, if generally they're speaking, keen, they'll find it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Generally speaking, you know, trying to find a million bucks as a as an early thirty year old, where let's be honest, accountants don't earn a whole heap in the first two or three years that they are yeah. accountants um, yeah. will be pretty difficult. So we see it a lot. And, oh, you know, if I haven't done a thousand deals, we've probably done hundreds and hundreds of deals where we've done the succession planning arrangement. Yeah. And the the biggest inhibitor to succession is actually the partners themselves. So uh-huh. where it gets really challenging is where, and I don't want to, disparage boomers, but you've got the boomer who's in his 60s um, who's saying, oh, when I bought in, I had to use my own cash to buy in, and so everyone else should as well. They're basically stymieing the ability for the firm mm. to bring in succession, and, and they're limiting their exit because that's probably mm. the person who's going to be exiting. But we do see it occasionally. I'd, I'd say, you know, one in five firms that we, we see and we go speak to, they just steadfastly say, we're not guaranteeing this loan whatsoever. Yeah, it's got the potential to be a lose-lose, isn't it? Um, it simply careful. is. Yeah, yeah, it simply is a lose-lose. And, and the way I turn around and say it to people is, look, you've brought your person to me, yep. right? I expect you as a firm to back that person in. If you're yep. not willing to back them in, why would I put my money behind that person? Yes, yes. And so, yeah, sometimes that actually turns around and goes, oh, okay, that makes sense. I understand that. We'll do it. But then, yes, yeah, so probably one in five firms or one in ten firms, they just won't do it, and then they get stuck. Yeah, and then they'll go to you know they, 
BOQ as a product, which it's notionally not guaranteed, but it's one step removed from a guarantee. But basically, if the person fails, it still goes back to the firm anyway. So yeah. I always say to people, like, you, you're just kidding yourself by using a BOQ product. Um, clever of BOQ, I actually have to admit that they've done a, a really good job at marketing that uh-huh. product. But ultimately, the firm still you know, guaranteeing it because BOQ take yeah. a, a charge over the shares. So yeah. there are options to get around it, but but notionally, all the banks will want the firm to stand by any partner that they introduce. Great. Okay. Well, that's that's really quite insightful. And I, I guess coming out of that, I'm I'm very encouraged that that hundreds of these things actually get done. And what's really come through in this interview, Con, is is that sort of de- definitely there there are better ways of, of doing it and pitching it uh, and and yeah I guess my experience is that if a deal is going to be done it's going to be done quickly and there's those ones that drag out over time and sending more information that sort of stuff that everyone's too exhausted and that they they may not go through but if it's well organized well thought out got all the information then in the hands of someone such as yourself to steer it through then um, there's every chance of getting uh, some some finance that's exactly right I think you know unfortunately or fortunately, whatever way, whichever way you want to look at it, finance is still a very personal business in the sense that, you know, getting finance for your business is, is requiring people to make a decision. Yeah. And the easier you make it for that person to make a decision, whether that's your banker that you're dealing with or whether that's the credit partner that the bank is dealing with, yeah. the easier you make it for them to make a, a, an easy decision, then the quicker it'll get done, the yeah. harder you make it for them. And by saying harder, it's not just... Um, the way you present the deal, but it's also if you haven't paid tax or if you've got you mm-hmm. know some some CR, you know, some credit check issues where you haven't paid bills, it yes. just puts questions into the bank's mind of is sure. this person going to pay us back? Yeah. That's yeah. that's ultimately the, the the decision the bank ultimately makes when they say credit said yes or credit said no. The decision that person is ultimately making, and and in commercial lending, it is a person. Ultimately, that decision is. Do I feel comfortable that this person's going to pay us back? Yes or no? That's basically the big risk decision that we take. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And then if it's a no, we then, as a bank, we then look at, okay, if we feel like they may not pay us back, what's the likelihood of us getting money back in a what we call a second way out as a bank? So, so if the business fails or if that person fails, do we lose all our money? Is there an asset there that's worth something, you know, whether that's the business has a value um, or have they given us collateral, which actually gives us a, a second way out? And then that might go from a no to a yes again because we go, okay, well, we are a little bit uncomfortable on the, the cash flow of the business, but we know that if the business fails, you know, the the leverage on the person's house that they've put up as security is only 50%, so we're never going to lose a dollar. So we'll yeah. take that slightly higher risk because of that. Um, but if we haven't got a house at the back of it or that house is geared at 80%, we might go, well, actually, there's not really that much equity in the house. And therefore, if the business fails, the whole thing might fall over. And as a bank, we might lose money. Yeah, great. Okay. Con, I'm thinking uh, particularly of the the listenership to this podcast, accountants and planners. Uh, what, what's what's an ideal client for you? So the people listening, sort of, like how do they know if if sort of um, uh, sort of their 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 affairs might be sort of something of of uh, interest to you, and and you, they could engage your services? Yeah, great, great question, Scott. Um, and look, the great thing of of being a broker is 
I'm no longer limited to to what I can do. Um, yes, yeah, yes. So the last two years working at Judo, I've, I've absolutely loved it, and it's been fantastic. But as a, a new bank, and as a smaller bank, we were we were restricted in terms of the size of deals we could do and how much risk we were willing to take. So someone might come. You know, I had a, a colleague of mine. Uh, sorry, colleague. I had a, a connection of mine come to me and said, oh, "I've got this client who wants to buy a hundred million dollar property," and I was like, "I can't do it. I'm a Judo yeah. bank. You know, that's too big for us. We're just yeah. not." that size yet as a broker i can sit there and go well i know i can take it to any of the big four banks and i can yep. get this deal placed so the good thing is is anyone that has a need i can i can most likely help out um my focus is definitely on the the business side but yep. also you know clearly with the business comes also the the needs of the person as well and so doing yep. the home loans as well is, is exactly what i'm doing um I'm trying to engage with technology to make things easier for for myself and for accountants and for clients. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to get the process streamlined as much as possible for everyone to make it as as easy as possible. But yeah, anyone that has a need, I'm more than happy to take a call um, and and Great. give them five minutes of my time. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, I'll be sure to put uh, full contact details for you in the show notes. I encourage people to get in touch. Uh, now, Con, before I let you go, there is a small extra component to our discussion today. It's known as the Slipstream Rapid Fire Dozen. Uh, so this is 12 questions uh, for which I'm allowing you five seconds in response. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here we go. Um, Apple or Android phone? Android. Favorite form of exercise? Uh, going for a hike. Do you prefer winter? Or summer? Summer. What's something that banks view more seriously than their customers? Their profits. <laughs> what did your better half say when you announced, I think I'm going to set up my own business? She was very, very supportive and very excited. Nice. Do you have a good business accountant to help guide you on this new enterprise? I do. Excellent. Complete the following sentence. In thinking about my new business, I feel Ooh. Uh, I feel excited and terrified at the same time. <laughs> That's a good way to be. <laughs> What's a book you've read recently from which you've drawn insights or inspiration? Uh, actually, Joseph's book, which I've just had a mental blank as to what it was called, which is about um, setting up judo. Which was which was fantastic. Yeah, great. Okay, I'll put details of that in the show notes as well. I will get it to you. Great. Okay. Other than in the Slipstream FM, of course, what's your favourite podcast? Oh, this is going to be horrible because I'm not a massive podcast person. Um, my wife listens to a lot of the uh, true crime podcasts, so I, okay. I'll say just the true crime ones um, that she listens to because I'm I'm sitting in the car listening to them with her. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. When sitting out in a foreign city, do you A, take a map, B, rely on the GPS in your phone, or C, go where the mood takes you? Oh, probably B and C, a okay. combination of both. Yep, yep, all right. Apps are gone. <laughs> uh, Con, what's an expression you're renowned for? The expression I'm renowned for, which is actually not mine, I've stolen it, is progression, not perfection. I like that one, yep. And finally, what's your go-to choice of fruit for lunch on a hot summer's day? I love peaches. 
insight. Great. Good choice. <laughs> Con, thanks so much for being a guest on In the Slipstream FM. I'm sure that what you've actually provided by way of insights is going to be enormously enlightening for um, the listenership to this podcast. So thanks very much for your time today. Scott, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to, to speak today and it's been great fun. Well, that concludes my interview with Convoltus from Accelerate Advisory. For all those who have ever applied for finance to buy into a practice or to make an acquisition and then thought, what the, with how the bankers treated them, this episode was for you. <laughs> in fact, I base my questions on issues that have frustrated some of my coaching clients in recent times. It may not have made up for the frustrations you felt, but perhaps the interview has given you some enlightenment as to why there were delays or maybe what you could do better next time to save yourself some heartache. Con certainly made a case for using the services of a switched-on broker to push one's finance application. To quote, Presentation of your business to a bank plays a really important part in getting a loan. Make your banker's life as easy as possible. Give them the right information in the right format in a simple manner. Then from there, the right broker will have sway in terms of getting your application processed. To quote Con again, the easier you make it for someone to make a decision, the quicker it will be done. Makes sense. <laughs> in this regard, it was interesting to hear Con's observation that whilst many of the major banks will grab collateral first and look at the fundamentals later, Judo Bank may be more prepared to consider the business in question more closely. Now, in case you didn't get them jotted down at the time, here are Con's four C's for finance applications. Character. This goes to experience and track record. This one was viewed as mandatory. Cash flow. Can you afford to repay your debt? Capital. Equity on your balance sheet. And collateral. If something is missing, collateral can fill the breach. Hearteningly, it's Con's view that there's always a way to do it. Con's insights on guarantees, vendor finance, shadow equity arrangements and profit share were also useful areas to cover. I've put contact details of Con in the accompanying show notes. You'll find that he is readily contactable through both the Accelerate Advisory website and via LinkedIn. In today's Coach Corner, I'd like to pick up from where I left off in the last episode in regard to the new areas where Slipstream provides real solutions for practitioners. The practitioners who are looking to exit their firms, or wishing to bring in new owners, or seeking to buy into the firm where they currently work. To recap, we have written two guides, Pathway to Succession and Exit, together with Pathway to Equity, effectively two sides of the same coin. We're also going to be running workshops to support this material, i.e. one workshop for each side of that coin. 
Today, I'd like to talk about the 10-part framework which provides the spine of both resources. It's the same 10 elements looked at through opposite lenses. The framework is the brainchild of Slipstream's Michael Spinks, himself a practitioner who has done the whole life cycle. That is, star deferred, introduce partners, grown organically, grown by acquisition, groomed successes, sold to successes, and then finally exited on a high with everyone a winner. The fact that the elements seem so logical belies the insights Michael has applied, providing a pathway to follow in otherwise a complex situation. How many times have we all seen partnership changes and attempted exits flounder for want of some direction and lack of an effective communication? Personally, I think employee aspirants to ownership usually get a rough end of the pineapple. Current owners presume that they are mind readers and have greater knowledge than they actually have about being a business owner. The material we've put together addresses all these bottlenecks, gaps and shortfalls, plus provides a lot more. Happily, the material has been reviewed, debated, improved and contributed to by Slipstream's coaching team. Amongst all seven coaches, there's not much we haven't seen, experienced and observed on this topic. I'm sure I wouldn't want to go through this process without the benefit of this wisdom. If you'd like to know more and particularly would like to attend a workshop, please reach out. I've put a link in the show notes to the page in the website along with contact details of Ryan DeVillers, our business development manager, who would be more than happy to chat to you should you wish. Alternatively, just go to the Slipstream Group website and navigate from there to the Programs tab. That's the end of our show today. Thanks so much for listening. If you've gathered we're excited about this new material, you're absolutely correct. It's good. <laughs> Until the next episode, onwards and upwards. We all have these choices about what we're gonna do. The simple fact is, it's always up.